0: We are so honored that you chose to join us for this week's message here at Hope Church in Kalispell, Montana. It is our desire that you'll be encouraged and challenged in your walk with Jesus. Be blessed as you join us for this week's message. If we're living in a consumer-saturated society and culture, wouldn't you agree? And as much as I love the Christmas season, um, if I'm not careful, probably just like you, I could find myself just caught up in the culture of busyness and parties and the fun and gifts and what can I get and what can I give and all that kind of stuff. Today, I want to I wanna bring to life a story out of the Bible in Mark chapter 14 of probably one of the most extravagant uh, example stories, real life stories of extravagant generosity, irrational generosity, I mean, ridiculous generosity. And now, already your minds are thinking, oh, that must be somebody who's really wealthy or really rich or has more than enough. But no, no, no. This story is actually about a woman who, by the world's standards and financially speaking, was probably very, very poor. But I would say was probably one of the richest people in history Inner spirit, Amen. So turn with me to Mark chapter fourteen. I'm gonna I'm gonna read that to you. Uh, forgive me, I didn't take my my gum out before I began to preach, so I had to put it on the pulpit. I put it on the top though. I didn't put it on the bottom, like you know, under there, like you do in in school when you go to eat lunch and you feel underneath the table and you find all these pieces of gum I didn't do that but my wife would get mad at me if I didn't take it out of my mouth I'd be chomping she says so while I preach which nobody wants chomping while they're while I'm preaching amen so uh, let me read this passage to you Mark chapter 14 now the Passover and the festival unleavened bread were only a few days away and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and to kill him But not during the festival, they said, or the people may riot. Now, you'll notice that every time the Bible talks about these people called the Pharisees, these were the religious leaders of the day, uh, they're always more concerned about what other people are thinking than what's in their heart and what they're doing. And and we're going to see today that somebody who has this beautiful heart of generosity on the inside That when you get a heart of generosity on the inside, the outflow of that always affects the atmosphere and the people that are around you. In verse three, and while he was in Bethany, and while he was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the in the home of Simon the leper. A woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume. Let me just pause right there a second. I thought it was interesting that last week, Pastor Rob preached about 10 lepers who uh, came to Jesus, and Jesus healed all 10 of them, but only one leper came back to thank him. Only one leper came back with a heart of generosity. Now, the Bible doesn't explicitly say this, but I kind of wonder if Simon the leper wasn't the leper that came back to thank Jesus and now we find him healed made whole and hanging out with Jesus and his his crowd of disciples and following him and in the same home where they're celebrating Jesus now Jesus had just come into Jerusalem this is just before the Passover about a week before he would be crucified and if you know this story, he came in riding on a donkey and, and they laid palms before him and they sang, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. And they actually worshiped him as a king, which was unusual. Now, this is right after this, that now they did what, what happened in public is now happening in private, where they're celebrating Jesus. And so I thought it was just interesting that this man, Simon the leper, was there in the midst of the people that were celebrating Jesus, How many of you know that when you have gratitude in your heart, it always results in generosity and giving to God? This man, he left, obviously he left things to be there with Jesus. And a woman came, and now this is the part, extravagant generosity. A woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. Now, don't ask me what nard is. I do a lot of research. But all I can tell you is this, that this... um oftentimes when somebody would come to be your guest in a home in other words they would come over for a meal just like Jesus did it was customary in in Jewish culture to do a couple things the first one is to wash their feet because you know they had they don't have nice clean paved roads like we have um you know hopefully none of the rock chips on it but they had dirt roads and and so they would come in with dirty feet from traveling and one of the first things they would do is they would have a servant wash their feet for them and then somebody would usually the host they would anoint them with a little bit of oil and it was usually a little bit of oil mixed with some kind of fragrance now I know oils are really popular these days and you know, there's a lot of people that are really into it, and you could tell those people because you smell You know what petulia is or whatever you call it? I don't know if I even said that right. Um, but you smell them. Like, you walk into a room, and there's a fragrance about them. And part of it was that when they anointed them, that there would be this fragrance that would affect the atmosphere that they were in. In other words, they would walk in a room, and there would be this fragrance that you would smell in the air and it would draw you to that person. I think it's interesting because this lady, um, through the breaking of this alabaster jar and this very expensive perfume, in fact, um, Judas, who is the money keeper out of all the disciples, he he said that it was probably worth a year's wages, a whole year's wages. Most scholars actually believe that this, this jar of a very expensive perfume was probably passed down. It was probably passed down from one generation to the next. So this was actually probably this lady's inheritance. It was probably her life savings. Everything that she owned, her whole future, this was kind of her nest egg, if you will. And in this moment where she's so overtaken by the joy of having Jesus with her and just the love in her heart that she had for Jesus. She does this thing that even Jesus himself said would be talked about and remembered forever and that we would be here over 2,000 years later talking about this very story and not only paying memorial or honor to the one who broke the jar, but the effect that it would have on the disciples and on the rest of the world and on us today. And it said that the alabaster jar, very expensive perfume made of pure nard, and she broke the jar. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, it's time to break the jar. And she broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. And some of those who were present, saying indignantly, now this is like, it's not just like murmuring. Indignantly means they were very agitated, by this act, they were very upset by it. What were they so upset about? It said they were those who were present were saying indignantly to one another, "Why the waste of the perfume? Why the waste of the perfume?" It could have been said uh, sold for more than a year's wages, and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly for her act of generosity. And then Jesus steps in and said. Leave her alone. He said, Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. Do you know that there's two words in the Greek for good? One of them is is common good. It's like it's you do good because you're supposed to do good to your fellow man. And the other word in Greek for good, which is the word used here, means something that is done good, but it is done beautifully. It is done in a way that catches people's attention that it's a beautiful thing that she's doing. It's beyond something that's just good. It's something that's great. It's something that's awesome. It's something that is above and beyond normative for good. Leave her alone, why are you bothering her? For she has done a beautiful thing to me. And he goes on to say the poor you will always have with you and you can help them at any time you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. You want to underline that. That's important. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand in preparation for my burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. And then Judas Iscariot, one of the 12, went went to the chief priests to betray Jesus to them. And they were delighted to hear this. And promised to give him money. So he watched for an opportunity to hand over Jesus. Would you pray with me? Father God, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you that your word is powerful, it's sharp, and it sharply divides between even our soul and our spirit. Father God, I pray today that your word would be like a seed that would go forth and be planted within our spirit that it would go deep and it would take root and it would produce fruit in our lives. God, help us to be people that not only hear your word and like James says, would be like people who look at our face in a mirror and see intently into you and who you are and what your word says and then go away and forget about it. God, I pray today that we would be a people that would be changed by your word, transformed by your word, God, I pray that your word that has power, in fact, your word says that no word that you set forth to produce something will return to you void. So, Father God, I pray right now for every single person here, for every single person watching online, God, that your word would produce what you desire in us today, that we would be changed forever in Jesus' mighty name. Everyone said, Amen, amen. amen. Hey, would you do me a favor now? Um, I just have had this conviction. Uh, really in the last, it's been almost two years now, to every single Sunday that we would pray as a church for our nation. I I believe in this nation, but I also believe that we're living in some perilous times. And I believe that we have drifted away as a nation more and more from God and more and more to, you know, ways of the world. And, And I think our nation is in danger. If you don't recognize it, I pray that God would open your eyes to see it. But for me, um, I believe that we have a a window of opportunity as the church to wake up and to change our ways so that we can bring the hope of Christ to the world. So would you take like 30 seconds to 60 seconds and would you pray with me? And when I say pray with me, there's something the Bible talks about called corporate prayer. That is when the body prays together. It's not just the pastor, not just the leaders but when you decide in your heart that I want to pray too. And so as I pray, I want you to just pray out of your own heart. And I want this room to light up with the prayers of people that God hears our prayers. I'm praying for that that scripture in Chronicles that said that God would hear our prayer, that, that we would recognize that we have been sinful people, that we have drifted away from God, and that we would ask God to forgive us and to heal our land. And the Bible says that he will hear us from heaven. And he will heal our land. Do you believe it? You got to believe it. You got to pray in faith this morning. We're not just people that say prayers and, oh, we kind of hope that God answers our prayers or hope that he hears us. When you pray, the Bible says, believe in your heart. That not only does he hear you, but he's already working on your behalf. He's already answering. God is moving. He's on the move. Revival is coming. It's happening right now. Do you hear it? Do you feel it in your spirit? Come on, we're a people of faith. We're a church of faith. We're a people of hope. So right now, I want you to put your faith and hope in this prayer with me. Father God, we thank you for the great states of the United States of America. Thank you that we get to be a part of this amazing nation that was founded on you. God, that put their hope and trust in you. In fact, it's still on our coin. Everything in our economy, in God, we trust. God, I pray that we would actually live by those words. It wouldn't just be something on a piece of paper that is minted and coined. But God, that that would be, we would return to the foundation of everything in God. We trust. So God, we ask that you forgive us for trusting in other things, trusting in money, trusting in wealth, trusting in our economy, trusting in the government to help us, to save us. And we ask that you forgive us, God, and that you would heal our land. God, we pray for revival to rock this nation. God, I pray revival would rock Washington, D.C. God, I pray for revival fire to sweep over this nation. And I pray that it would start right here in Little Hope Church in Kalispell, Montana. I pray for every single church in this valley. God, that you would help it catch on fire. And God, that revival would begin and sweep over this nation. We thank you for it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen, amen, amen. Not good? Come on, can we give God praise? Jesus, we thank you that you not only hear our prayers, but you answer prayer, and you're doing something in the world right now. So hey, I just want to take a minute. Would you welcome our Hope Church family in Eureka? I just say, look in the camera, say, I love you guys. We are so blessed by you. Hearing some amazing testimonies of what God is doing up there, mm mm-mm. Man, God is moving in Eureka, y'all. Be praying for that church. I'm telling you, it's about to bust open because God is moving. People are getting saved. People are getting healed, physical healing. God, man, I got testimony after testimony I could share with you of things that God is doing up there. We're so excited, and we also thank you. We wanna welcome those of you who are joining us online. What a privilege. I got to hear an amazing testimony. Sat down with a man, um, moved here recently from California. They were really struggling, and they started... um, They started looking at churches in Little Kalispell, Montana, Found Hope Church online, Began watching the services. God started moving in their lives powerfully, speaking to them, giving them new direction. Uh, The messages were touching their heart. And as I sat down with that man, he was just sharing with me testimony after testimony of how God was using it. So, hey, this is no small thing that you're tuning in and you're watching this message. I believe God has something specific for you. And even though you're not here, the Spirit of God is with you right now. The presence of God is on you. And He's going to bring you a word today. And I believe God's going to use it and change you. And then, hey, we always want to welcome Hope City. We love you guys. Pray for you. Dennis and Debbie, we're so grateful for you and the team down there ministering to people downtown Kalispell. All right. How many of you love to shop? How many shoppers we got out there? Now, I'm, I'm one of two shoppers in my family. I've been trying to like stir that up over the years. I, I like to shop. And, and, but really, if I'm going to be honest with you, what I like about shopping is I like to find a deal. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't want to waste money. I want to, if I'm going to buy something, I'm going to do, my wife makes fun of me because whenever I'm going to buy something, I kind of set my mind to buy something, whether it's a car, computer, or whether it's a new phone or whatever, even if it's like something small, I'm going to research it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go on. i got a couple of websites I use to find the deals, right? Come on, there's Brad's Deals. There's dealnews.com. And I go on there, and it tells you about all these deals. I love Black Friday shopping. Come on, many? I am so grateful that Black Friday was restored to normalcy once again. Everything's right in the world. Stores were actually closed on Thanksgiving, y'all. I mean, I'm like, you know, when they started opening on Thanksgiving, it just messed up. Black Friday, like it did. <laughs> but more importantly, it messed up Thanksgiving because it made people work on Thanksgiving and it just opened up that whole door to consumerism that we can get sucked into, that I can get sucked into. But I'm, I'm a little bit of a hoarder. You know, you ever see that show on TV, Hoarders? Um, I don't know how many of you ever watched it. It might be a little damaging to your psyche if you have uh, because some of the stories are crazy. Actually, actually, I had a friend one time that I worked with and, and his mom was, that she really struggled with that. And it's really, I think, a, a disease, um, a, a disorder, a psychological disorder that many people actually struggle with. But, but the root of it, and, and really for me, I like to get good deals. But my wife, usually in a marriage, you have one person that is the hoarder that holds on to everything, right? And then you have the get rid of her. And how, how many of you are hoarders? How many of you like to hold on to things? Come on, this is my people right there. Uh, how many of you are get rid of it? Like, you know, it, you, I just, get, if you're not using it, get rid of it. I need to get it out of the house. Well, it's interesting because, you know, recently we sold our house and we moved. And when you go through that process, you realize how much stuff you have. Like, it's unbelievable, y'all. Like, I I cannot believe how much stuff. And the packing process is interesting because, you know, you pack up all your valuables and you got things that are fragile, things that are important to you. And, And then when you get down to like the last bit of packing, you get to that point and you're just like, I don't care. Put it in a box, and we're get, I'll take it to Salvation Army. I don't even care anymore. I just want it gone. We got too much stuff, filled up two uh, storage units, and that's enough. Enough is enough. And But what I realized about myself, and I, it almost took 49 years, um, but what I realized about myself is this. I'm an only child. I don't know how many only childs are out there today, but... When I was younger and as an only child, what got ingrained in me is that I had to fend for myself. And I had had to take for myself, I had to do something to help myself because nobody was gonna help me. Nobody was gonna give to me. In fact, I remember um, taking a philosophy class and I remember my philosophy teacher said, there are no free lunches in life. He would say this all the time. And it kind of got ingrained not only in my head, but a little bit in my heart. And that whole mindset, which actually there's um a book by Stephen Covey called the, the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. It's a great book. Uh there's some really great principles in there. Actually, some of them are, are biblical principles. They don't explicitly say that in the book, but if you trace back the principle, which happens oftentimes in business and in the world, is that they get a hold of a biblical principle and they find that it actually works because the Bible's true, and God created this whole thing. Like, he created you. He created the world. And he knows something about humans and human nature. And um, one of the things in that book that Stephen Covey talks about is the difference between a scarcity mindset and an abundance mindset. And what we see in this picture in Mark chapter 14 is the disciples, and in particular one of the disciples... Who had this kind of mindset that we can't this is too much you're giving too much like enough is enough Mary you didn't have to go to the extreme to break the jar and pour out all the perfume actually you didn't need to do that like that's that's overdoing it and by one disciple saying that and verbalizing that it kind of infected the rest of them it wasn't just Judas But most people believe that it originated from Judas because he had this this heart, this selfish heart. In fact, Judas being the treasure out of the disciples, um, he would dip into the money bag. He kept the money bag. In other words, he kept all the money that that paid for Jesus' ministry. And even on the outside, it may sound like he really cared about the poor, What Judas saw was this was a lot of money and we could have sold that perfume for a year's worth of wages and I could have gotten my cut out of that. And so what came out of this heart of selfishness and greed now infected the other disciples and they started agreeing with them and they began began saying indignantly, why the waste? You didn't have to do this. It's just like some people say, why are you here? Why are you watching this online? Why are you wasting your time going to church? Why are you wasting your time with that Christianity stuff? Why are you wasting your time worshiping Jesus? Why are you wasting your time giving, going to that connect group? Why are you wasting your time serving? What for? It's all for nothing. Man, you got to think about yourself in this life, right? See, Judas had the spirit of the world on him. And the spirit of the world says you need to take, you need to hold on to what you have and you need to get as much of it as possible because you never know when you're going to need it. You never know when you're not going to have enough. So why did she waste this moment and give everything that she owned on this person called Jesus? You see, I believe that this jar that she broke open, and by the way, the title of my message is break the jar break the jar because i believe that there's something inside all of us that gets caught up in our capitalist culture and consumerism culture especially this time of year and it's like a disease that affects us and the people were around notice that it started with judas but then it got in and affected the rest of the disciples just like it could it could uh In the Bible, in the New Testament, Paul talks about somebody coming in to the church that has a wrong spirit, and it could be a false prophet, and they could start, and I've seen it happen. It happens like a cancer. It starts affecting other people. It's interesting that we were talking about leprosy last week and how God healed 10 lepers because greed and consumerism is a lot like the disease of leprosy. It it gets on you a little bit in the beginning, but then if you don't take care of it right away, it starts affecting your whole body. And eventually, if you don't take care of it and get healed of it, it will destroy you. And it will take you out. It will, it will kill your life. What's interesting about leprosy, too, is not only does it affect you, was it a skin disease, what happens is it would ostracize you. So you would, um, socially, you would have to distance yourself from other people, and you would lose relationships Man, greed has broken up more um, friendships, relationships, business deals, you name it. And here's the thing about greed. None of us think we have it. It was um, the lady, she was the Duchess of, of Windsor. And I think it was her that said, you can never be too thin or have too much money. <laughs> and, and I kind of think for most of us, we think that's probably true that enough is never enough like we can always use more we can always have more and so this this jar that she broke open to me this jar symbolized her faith her generosity and her love towards Jesus that she didn't just open the bottle and take a little dab of that expensive perfume and put it on Jesus which she could But the disciples argued that because of her irrational, and I love that word irrational because irrational means it doesn't make sense. It doesn't compute. It doesn't measure up. It doesn't add up. She didn't have to do that. But there was something inside of Mary that was greater than the price of that perfume, that she recognized the beauty of this person, Jesus, that she was willing to give everything she was willing to break the box and I think what this story does is it represents to you and me that that there are these these places in our heart that we hold on to things and we don't give God access to them and when we do that we put a lid on actually what God and the blessing that God can pour out on your life and my life and I've seen it happen in my life and so today I want to encourage you it's time to break the box it's time to break the jar It's time to let it open and let God do what only God can do, something impossible with the little bit that you have. But I believe that there are several different jars that all of us, we need to learn to break. And the first one is this. We need to break the jar of not enough. The jar of not enough. Now, this is the beginning of generosity. For many of us, the reason why we don't give to God, we don't give now... I'm going to talk about something the bible calls the tithe today and even a couple i want to set the stage a little bit i've got about 20 minutes to speak to you guys Uh, and i want to set the stage in a couple ground rules because number one as soon as preachers pastors start talking about money some of y'all immediately you tuned out you said yep i'm getting on i'm playing candy crush yep pastor amen playing on my phone tuning you out bro because you know i know what you're doing You're trying to manipulate me and use the Bible and get money out of me. Can I tell you something? I don't need your money. This church doesn't need your money. But you need to give because you need to protect your heart. (laughs) See, generosity is a heart issue. It is never about the money. God doesn't need your money, but he asks you to give mostly to protect your heart from this thing called greed and selfishness. And so, for many of us, we look at what we have, and we say, "I don't have enough." How many of you even said that? Thought that? Like, man, I can't do Christmas this year. Why? We don't have enough. We don't have enough money. When I, it doesn't add up. Like when I look at my bills, when I look at my mortgage, when I look at my rent, I look at my car payment, when I look about college for the kids, when I look at all this stuff, I I don't have enough. Can I tell you a secret? You're never going to have enough until enough is enough and you decide in your heart that I'm going to make God first and I'm going to put my faith and trust in him. Now, um, back to that book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, that difference between the scarcity mindset, which I realized I had as an only child. Listen, too many of us, we, we live a only child spirituality. We live life like we're the only ones. Like what's given to me is for me and nobody else you know i've noticed things about only child like you put something in front of them they naturally think this is for me even though there may be three other people around no it's for me they'll take more because they think i have a right to it i'm entitled to it this is mine 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 you know nemo number mine 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 yeah the scarcity mindset is i've got to take because i might not have enough for me an abundant mindset which is a kingdom mindset is in the kingdom of God, there's always more than enough. There's always an abundance when we put God first in our heart. But the problem with the jar of not enough is we simply look and we do the math naturally. We add up our bills, we add up all that stuff, and we look at it and we say, I don't have enough to give. This is where I lived for many years. I'm omit, I'm admit to you. I didn't always live generously I don't even know um, how I'd classify myself right now I try to live generously I try to follow God listen to him and give what he wants me to give but this is where the journey of generosity began for me I had a jar but when I looked at my jar I saw I got just enough money in there to pay my bills and, and live and do what I need to do I don't have any money to give Pastor Lance I don't have time to give and so that was my mindset I lived out of this jar is not enough. Now there's a story in the Old Testament I think that that encapsulate this beautifully. Um, Elijah went to this widow. This widow was struggling. She was worried. If you could put that scripture up, she was worried because she thought, um, "I don't have enough." And I want to read you the story because I think it it, it encapsulates this uh, not enough mindset. It says this in 2 Kings 4, 1 through 7. Now the wife of a man from a company of prophets cried out to Elisha. Elisha was a prophet of God, man of God. He said, your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that he revered the Lord, but now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as a slave. So in Jewish culture, if you didn't have enough money, if you didn't have enough to pay, they came and they took your your boys, your firstborn and your boys, and they would make them slaves until they paid off the money. And then they would release them. She said, they're coming and take him. And Elisha, listen to the man of God, he replied to her, how can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? (laughs) And listen to her reply. This is her mindset. She's not thinking about what I do have. In her mind, all she's thinking is, I don't have enough. I've got a scarcity mindset. She says, your servant has nothing there at all, she said. And then, pregnant pause, wait a minute you know what i do have a small jar of olive oil i've got a jar but man it's not enough it's just got a little bit of oil i didn't even want to tell you about it because it means nothing like what's a little bit of oil going to do is it's not going to do anything it's not going to help me it's not going to help it it doesn't mean anything and look what elijah says elijah says go around this is what i want you to do i want you to ask all your neighbors for empty jars. And don't ask for just a few. He says, I got faith, and I believe that if you're gonna go around and you get a bunch of empty jars, he says, Then I want you to go inside, shut the door behind you, and take you and your sons, and I want you to take that little bit of oil that you got in that jar, and I want you to pour it, begin to pour it into the bigger jars. Pour all the oil that you have into the jar, and as each jar is full, put it aside. And so she left him, and she shut the door behind her, just like she said, her and her sons, and she brought the jars, he brought the, uh, they brought the jars to her, and she kept pouring. She poured at first what little she had, but she kept pouring, and she kept pouring, and the oil kept flowing, and the jars kept filling up, and kept filling up, and kept filling up. And one after another, she kept telling her sons, bring me another one. Bring me another one. And then, but he replied, there is, one of her sons said, there's not a jar left. And then the oil stopped flowing. And she went and told the man of God. And he said, go sell the oil and pay all your debts. And you and your sons can live on what is left. This is a beautiful picture of somebody who looked at the little bit that they had, didn't think they had anything, but when they actually gave it to God and put their faith and trust that I'm gonna do what God tells me to do, and when I do what God tells me to do in faith, that there's something that happens. God blesses it, and it increases, and it multiplies, and now do I not only have enough, I have more than enough. So here's the principle in this. Faith increases generosity, and generosity increases faith. You see how this works? It starts with faith. In fact, anytime we give, the Bible says if we don't give in faith, that is putting my trust in Jesus, in what his word says, above how I'm feeling, above what I see, above what I can measure, above what I can compute, above what is rational to me, I'm going to give it. I'm going to give it and so here's what happens as I give in faith I see that God blesses what I give and when I now see God blesses what I give it increases my faith oh come on y'all are too quiet if let me tell you something if you'll get this principle this morning it will transform your life I've seen this work in my own life and God says in Malachi he says test me on this test me And see if I will not open up the heavens and pour out a blessing on you. Pour out the floodgates. of You won't even be able to contain it. Just like this woman, she started out with a little bit of oil. When Elijah came to her and said, what do you have in your house? I got nothing. This is the jar of, of emptiness. Like I got nothing to give. But if you will give out of obedience to God, let me tell you, you will see. Your faith increase, and as your faith increases, your generosity will increase, and you will just see a blessing of God that you, you cannot explain to anybody. It's not rational, but it is the blessing of God. The second jar that I believe that a lot of us operate in, and this was my next step, if you will, in generosity, is the jar of when I have enough. The jar of when I have Enough. And so for years, this is, this is most of my Christian life, this is how I gave. This was my um, journey of generosity over, if you will. Now, I believe this is when we um, get to this place in our generosity journey, we get to a place where uh, we are ruled more by our feelings than our faith. See, this jar of when I have enough It represents that we are living out of our feelings over our faith. So this is how it works. I'll give when I feel moved to give. So I could be in a service like this and Pastor Lance could talk about um, how we're gonna bless Evergreen Junior High and there's 20 kids that wouldn't have a Christmas if somebody didn't give. And I'd be sitting just where you were in church and I wouldn't give regularly Because I always thought, you know, I'll give when I feel like I have enough to give. That was my mentality. That's the mentality of this jar. And so it's completely tied to our feelings. Our feelings of when I move to give with compassion, then I'll give. So I'd hear stories like that and I'd say, you know, we should give. I want to give to that. And I'd give to that. And that's a good thing. And then the other part of my feelings over my faith was that I was oftentimes... I wanted to give, like, even in my heart, like, I wanted to give, I wanted to be generous, but then there was this other voice in the back of my head saying, yeah, but if you give, then you might not have enough. If you give, you may not be able to get that new car. If you give, you may not be able to buy that new iPhone. If you give, you may not be able to make rent. And your feelings of fear and anxiety over giving kick in and can override your faith in giving and this all boils down to this jar right here it all boils down to us getting to a place where we are fully trusting God that he not only owns it all but he when we give him first place in our giving and we put our faith and trust in him that when I give out of obedience to what God tells me to give into his word that I don't just serve a, a God that's distant out there that doesn't hear prayers I serve Jehovah Jireh yeah. this is when God becomes real to us as Jehovah Jireh and see this is why Jesus talked about money more than anything in the New Testament because there's this connection between faith and our finances and faith in our feelings that to what the holy spirit is leading us to give and what the bible says to give that we'll actually be able to demonstrate that god i i trust you i'm writing this check i'm not sure how i'm going to make my rent but I trust that you are my Jehovah Jireh. You're my provider. You're the one who provides for me. Yeah, I've got a job and I work for X and X company, but that job comes from you. You're the one who gave me the job. You're the one who gave me this house. You're the one who gave me this car. You're the one who gave me this mind and these hands and the ability to work and do what I do so I can make a paycheck. You're my source. And because you're my source, there's nothing that I can, I can never outgive you. You're my Jehovah Jireh. And then God becomes real to you as your provider. Why do you think uh, it's interesting? And I left it in this passage. I kind of wanted to cut it out to be more expeditious in my opening passage of scripture, but I left it in on purpose that it was two days before the Passover celebration and, un- and the um, celebration of unleavened bread. These were feasts that God instituted to the people of God for reminders. You know, remember what Passover is. When God freed the, uh, his chosen people from slavery, bondage to Egypt and slavery. It represents our freedom that Jesus paid the price for on the cross for our sin, that he broke the power of sin. Just like when when God broke the power of Egypt and freed them, released them from their bondage and slavery and released them to um, be free. And what the Passover represents is their release of freedom. Now think about that. Now they're in the desert and you know the very first test that they faced in the desert okay we're free but we're gonna starve to death out here in this desert we're gonna we're gonna be thirsty we were thirsty we got no water i'm out here and what he does is he tells he, they began to be bitter about it okay i might be free but i still gotta live i still gotta put food on my table i gotta put shoes on my kids feet how am i gonna do that god Yeah, you freed me. I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. I'm living the Christian life. I'm trying to follow you the best that I can. But I don't see the provision. And what God did is He said, Tell tell Moses, touch the bitter water. Throw a little piece of wood in there. I love that He threw a little piece of wood. That little piece of wood is a reminder of the cross. That Jesus took away the bitterness of not enough. And He gave us all His righteousness everything that we would need for life and god turned that bitter water into drinking water and it became an artesian well and it and it it gave them something to drink and not only that he said you're not going to have to worry about it when you follow just follow me trust me when you follow me and trust me every morning when you're going to wake up there's going to be this heavenly provision i love but you know here was the cool part about manna now manna was this it, every, it was like honey nut cheerios for the egypt for the israelites every morning they wake up and they would pick this manna they would bake bread and make bread out of it and they would eat it and that's how they survived in the desert in a place that was you know lack there's never enough there never enough water never enough food but here's the thing it had an expiration date on it do you know what the expiration date was that day What it did is it forced them to trust God daily for their provision. You know what our problem is in America? We have more than enough and we lost sight of trusting God for daily provision. You'll never know how much you need God until God is all you need. There's been several times in my life where I didn't like it, but I was in a desperate place unless God provided and moved. I wasn't going to make it. But it was in those times when I trusted God and he showed up, that God became Jehovah Jireh to me. He became my God that provides for me. And I trusted him so much. I love what Winston Churchill said. He, he always had some great quotes, and he's one of my heroes. But I love this quote. He said, we make a living by what we get. We make a life by what we give. We make a living by what we get. We make a life by what we give. See, Judas was worried about, I'm not gonna get to dip in to the money of what this perfume could have been sold for. Mary wasn't concerned about that. She was just so caught up in the moment of being there in the presence of Jesus, knowing her Lord and Savior as Jehovah Jireh. She knew she didn't lack anything, that there was more than enough because the presence of God was with her. He was her Jehovah Jireh, and she made a life out of what she gave, not what she got. Jesus himself said, it is better. You'll be more blessed. It is more blessed to give rather than receive. Mary understood it. The next jar I want to talk about is the tithe jar. It's the tithe jar, and and this this is a little tricky one because some of you already like tithe, that's an old testament thing that's a that's a law thing are we even bound to tithe anymore now let me help some of you out a little bit the tithe when the bible talks about the tithe and you've heard us talk about it in church before the tithe simply means a tenth it means tenth what's also interesting about that word tithe and ten meaning ten is that ten in the bible you know everything in the bible has meaning right numbers days festivals everything has meaning God is, is genius. The Bible is a genius work of the Holy Spirit. And that number 10, all throughout the Bible, is associated with testing. There's 10 commandments. Test us, right? There was 10 plagues in Egypt, testing Pharaoh. Come on, there was 10 disciples, right? I'm just making sure y'all are awake, playing that candy crush. I don't want you to tune me out when I start talking about the tithe. It means testing, because let me tell you something. A tithe, giving a tithe a tenth of all your income, your first and your best. Now, a lot of people just think a tithe is just giving 10% of your income. I think about a tithe a little bit differently than that. Actually, when you look at the origination of the tithe, and, and again, speaking to some of you who believe the tithe, giving a tithe, or a tenth of all we have, your income, your paycheck, to God first is an Old Testament principle, Here's my answer to that. First of all, the first time that we see tithe in the Bible is before the law was given. It actually predates the law, and it was given out of somebody's heart of generosity. Abraham, when he went to a land in faith that he never saw laid eyes on, but he went in obedience because God told him to, and he realized, and God started blessing him because of his obedience, and he had more than enough out of his heart of gratitude he wanted to do something to give back to god and so what did he do the bible says that he gave a tenth to the high priest at the time called Melchizedek. and now in the bible in hebrews it talks about that now we have a chief priest and that chief priest is jesus christ himself he is our Melchizedek in the new testament And so Abraham, out of a heart of gratitude, because God was blessing him, because he was obedient, put his faith and put his trust in God for his provision and for blessing, God blessed him abundantly, and he had more than enough. And out of that heart of gratitude, he said, I want to give a tenth of everything I own to you. And God used it and blessed him even more. And so this tithe is really the jar of the test of obedience. Look what look what God says in Malachi. Now God was telling the people in Malachi, listen, you're robbing me. And they were asking him, what do you mean? We're robbing you. How can man rob God? And he says, let me tell you how you're robbing me. You've drifted away from the tithe. You've drifted away from making me first place in your heart. Now, let me go back again, because let me give you a little bit, uh, expound a little bit more on the tithe. Uh, This is really necessary, and then we're almost done. And cue the music. Um, And so, the tithe, in the beginning, they didn't have, their monetary system was an agriculture culture. So they didn't have actual physical money, oftentimes, in the beginning, what they had was, they had cattle and sheep, and they had grain, and they had produce and so what they would do is the first crops that when they farmed the first crop uh, the first harvest if you will was the very best and so what happened or if you had a lamb or a cow an unspotted one a perfect one without blemish they were worth the most because they, they were unblemished they were untainted they were perfect and so they were worth the most and they could sell them for the most money well In that culture, God said, give me not only a tenth of what you have, but give me your very best. So the heart is, and the whole principle is this, it's not that we just give God 10% of our income. It's that we think about God and give him the very first and the very best. So here's, in modern day terms, this is how I do it. This is how it translates. It translates into this. I've set up on our Hope Church account, that every time I get a paycheck, the very first thing that comes out of my paycheck is my tithe back to the church. I want God to get my first and I want him to get my very best. Because look what he says in Malachi 3.10. He says, bring all the tithes, and look what he says, into the storehouse so that there's enough food in my temple. Now, some people get confused. Can I give my tithe to missionaries? Can I give my tithe to... The tithe is meant to go into your local church. That's the storehouse, that's his temple. This is the temple of God right here. This is God's house. This is where you get fed. This is where you're part of a community. This is where we bring all of our tithes collectively into this Hope Church storehouse. And then out of the storehouse, we feed people, we bless people. People are getting fed online right now because we're streaming this service and they're blessed by what God is doing through you and your generosity and through this church. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be what? Enough food in my temple if you do check it out now here's the if you do and right now some of you are struggling i don't know about this tie thing well let me tell you here it is if you do says the lord of heaven's armies i will open the windows of heaven for you and i will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it all in and then he says listen try it Put me to the test. Now, I can tell you this personally. For years, I lived out of that jar of when I have enough. And then I'll never forget. I was in a service just like this. I was sitting right over there with my family. My wife was always bugging me. We need to tithe. We need to tithe. And I just, you know, I was like, well, we don't, we don't really have enough. When we have enough, then I'll give. Let me tell you something. If your mentality of giving is like that, you'll never have enough. For years, I said that. And there was never enough. Why? Because of human nature, enough is never enough. In fact, researchers at Harvard did a study. They did a study about people who made $37,000 a year and asked them, what would be enough for you to make that you would be happy and could live on? And they said $70,000 a year. That would be enough. Interestingly enough, they also asked people that made $70,000 a year. What would be enough for you to live on and have life? Those who made $70,000 a year said, I think $200,000 a year would be enough. Then I would be satisfied, I have enough. They asked people who made $200,000 a year, what would be enough for you to live on and enjoy your life? They said, I don't know, probably around $500,000 a year. The principle of the, the research showed enough is never enough. So stop waiting to have enough and start obeying and trusting in faith. Give to God. Give God your best and he will bless the rest. When you give God a tithe, when you give him your very best, he will bless the rest. And this is my last one and we're done. This last one, now I can't say that I've always lived in this last jar. I can tell you I've lived in the, tar- in the tithe jar. And here's my testimony about the tithe jar. I sat here and I listened to a pastor preach a great message on eating your seed. Like your money is the seed that God puts in your hand to invest in the kingdom. And too many of us, we're eating our seed and we have nothing to sow into. And therefore our treasure is going to be what's limited here on earth and not invested in the kingdom of God and multiplied in the kingdom with blessings. My heart got convicted. And I told my wife on the way home from church, I think it's time we started tithing regularly. And I started tithing regularly. Let me tell you, at that time, I owned my own small business and it was struggling. I mean, I, I, I made just enough money to pay my mortgage, to buy food, clothes, support my family. But it seemed like there was never enough, like it was just enough, just got by. And let me tell you something, when I started tithing, it didn't happen right away, but about six months later, and it wasn't just money, I started tithing my time. See, this is what a lot of people don't understand. It's not just about money, it's about your heart. It's about where you spend your time. That's why I think there's something special about coming to church on a Sunday morning and worshiping God with your very first hours of the week. I look at what we did here today, and I said we tithe our week to God. You tithe your time when you serve in the church we got people this morning that got here early shoveling sidewalks so you could come in safely plowing the driveway making coffee serving in kids right now greeting you warmly making you a fresh cup of coffee to help wake you up so you could praise god and all of that they gave they didn't have to because they had heart to give this last jar is the offering jar yes i did my duty gave god a tithe. that's what i had to do that's what the bible tells me to do i was obedient god i gave you my tithe but this is the jar that mary broke open this is the jar that i want to encourage you and me that if we're going to realize the generosity of jesus and we're going to experience an overflow of the outpouring of God on our lives. Here's the other thing that you don't realize. Did you know that there's a connection between your your physical generosity and giving to God and spiritual generosity? Jesus himself said, I'm sorry, I think it was Paul who said, no, it was Jesus. He said, if you can't give good gifts on earth and you can't be rich towards God, then how can you ever receive spiritual riches? Do you see there's a connection there and it all is tied to this thing called our heart. Where's your heart? This is what what God is after. This is why Jesus said, he said, wait, time out, stop. Stop the dinner. What this woman is doing right now is one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen on my time on earth. It's so beautiful, in fact. Not because somebody told her she had to do it. Not because it was required by law. She didn't give me a tenth. In other words, she didn't measure out the perfume like a lot of us would do. It's like, mm, okay, that's about a tenth. Here you go, Jesus. Oh, glory to God. Here you go. She didn't just do what a lot of us do. I don't have a lot, but maybe I could just take a little dab of this, and I could put it on you. Too many of us are dabbling with God in giving. We're dabbling. We give here, we give there, but we're not giving. And today, God wants you to break the jar. So the offering jar, this is when you give out of sacrificial love. This is when you give, not because you have to, not because you have something to give necessarily, because, God, I'm so grateful. I don't deserve to be here. I don't deserve to be alive. I don't deserve these blessings in my life. Come on, right around you right now. You got your kids surrounding you. Maybe your spouse. The people that mean the most. You're alive. You may not have perfect health, but you got health. You got a sound mind. You're here. You made it through most of the COVID craziness. You're in church this morning. You're worshiping God. See, now, I think Mary had a moment. And I think some of us need to have that moment right now as we close. Here was Mary's moment. She looked around and she saw her brother Lazarus sitting there at the table. And and Lazarus, if you know the story, Lazarus shouldn't have been sitting at that table. Come on, there's some of you in the room right now. You shouldn't even be sitting here at the table. I shouldn't even be here Lazarus should have been dead he was dead for four days and Jesus full of compassion wept and said Lazarus come out it's a beautiful picture of how all of us we were dead in our sin dead in our trespasses shouldn't be alive shouldn't be in the house of God shouldn't have the blessings of God on our life but we do and we're here and Mary looked at her brother Jesus Maybe she turned and looked at Simon the leper. This guy, should be dead too. He shouldn't be here. He should be ostracized. Some of us, man, you know what? Something just started welling up within Mary. I've got something I wanna give to you, God. Let me go get it. She went, she found that, uh, you know what? She didn't wait. That's the problem too many of us wait. You know, at the Feast of Unleavened Bread, you know why they would have that feast? It's interesting. These feasts were tied together because when they left Egypt, God said, don't take bread with yeast. Take the bread that you have, take the dough and run with it. It's a picture of when God tells you to give something, don't let the yeast of this world and the mindset of mammon and the love of money and greed and what you could do with it, because all of a sudden in your mind, you start thinking, I've got this in my hand, but I don't know if I could let go of it, because I start thinking about all the things that I could do with this money, but Mary, she took a look at that, and she said, and she took a look at Jesus, and I bet in the, her back of her mind, she remembered when she was down on her feet and she was staring into the perfect eyes of love and grace and joy and peace and she was drinking in every word of the Savior. Her heart says, you're worth it. I'm going to break this jar and I'm going to pour it all out on you. It's totally worth it. And other people said, that's a waste. Jesus said, no, no, no. You don't understand. What she just did, this is going to be used forever to spread the gospel. When you look at the New Testament church, People are amazed that the church survived. It shouldn't have survived. The gospel shouldn't have survived. The story of Jesus shouldn't survive. We're talking a small group of people who were ostracized, socially um, dysfunctional, pushed away. They were trying to be killed and pushed out and they didn't have anything by the world's standards. But they had this hope as an anchor for their soul. And one thing that marked the New Testament church. When people look at the church and say, what is it that made them survive? You know what it is? It's extravagant generosity, irrational generosity, because they gave, it woke up the world because nobody does that. Nobody in their right mind, at least, would give that much. You don't have to give that much, it's enough. But they wanted to that heart to give where your heart goes your heart flows and I wonder how many of us we just need more of the heart of God inside of us because as you put gratitude into that jar soon enough gratitude comes up to where you gotta break the jar And when you break the jar, God pours out his blessing on you. Come on, let's pray. Father God, we thank you. We thank you for your presence with us. God, we thank you that you are the most irrational, generous person that ever walked the face of the earth. Why? You didn't give money, you gave of yourself, you gave your life so that we could have life. God, I pray right now that you move on every heart. Come on, just put your hand on your heart right now. Holy Spirit, we invite you to just come. Move in our heart. Change our heart. God, let our heart be soft and tender towards you. Until to your still small voice, and what are you telling us to do? God, help us to be marked like the New Testament church of an irrationally generous people that give more than they receive and are blessed beyond measure, that live in abundance and have more than enough, more than enough to give. God, right now, I pray for every single person that is in this room and watching online that may not be in a relationship with you. May not put their faith and trust in you. This is where it all begins. And some of you, maybe you're here this morning, and you would say, "I want to put my faith and trust in Jesus." If you do that, it'll be the best decision you ever made. And God will change your heart. If that's you, and you want to become a Christian today, you want to surrender your life to Jesus. Just slip your hand up. Say, Pastor Lance, count me in. That's me. I want to go all in with Jesus. Maybe some of you watching online. For the rest of us. How many of you would say, I want to learn to be more generous. I want to break my jar. I want to open up my heart to all that God has for me. I want to give out of the abundance of my heart. How many would say that this morning? Just slip your hand up. Thank you, Jesus. God, moving our hearts. We trust you. We put our faith in you today. In Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us for this week's message at Hope Church. If you enjoyed this message, you can easily support this ministry by going to HopeChurchMT.com slash give. Also, follow us on social media at Hope Church MT. Thanks again for watching and have a very blessed week.